Welcome to the Musicians' Injury Awareness Week with things musicians don't talk about. Chronic playing injuries are a part of our lives as musicians, either through our own experience or that of our friends and colleagues. Playing-related pain is even more common, with up to 90% of musicians reporting pain in relation to their instrument at some point in their lives. After asking openly on our Instagram whether someone would like to speak about their injury experience, the response was overwhelming. It became clear to us that this is an issue about which musicians feel misunderstood. We are determined to explore it further. Musicians Injury Awareness Week was created by us at Things Musicians Don't Talk About for the week of the 15th to the 21st of November in the hope that we can share the stories of musicians, teachers and physicians. Through podcasts, social media content and resources and live events in partnership with the UK Conservatoires, we are ensuring that anyone struggling with injury can have access to peer support and the correct medical advice. We urge you to take part in any way you can. Use the hashtag MIAW2021 and tag us at TMDTA Podcast if you want to share your own journey with an injury. It honestly means the world that you're here and you're listening, and we can't wait to share some inspirational stories with you. Before we start, I'd just like to say that um, I recorded this interview with the amazing Bob Hughes back before Hattie and I had decided what we were going to do with these interviews. So um, I made it into a monologue by cutting myself out, which uh, is maybe why some of it doesn't quite flow in the same way as it should have done if I'd realised it was going to be a monologue. My bad. Um, so yeah, this is Bob. I also didn't get him to introduce himself. Um, so yeah, he is the professor of bass trombone at the Royal Academy of Music, and he's played with, well, pretty much all of the UK's finest orchestras up until he got his focal dystonia injury. So I'll hand over to Bob to talk more about this, because obviously he knows much more about it than I do. Um, So to start off, because I mean, I'm not completely clear, but I'm sure that some of our listeners also won't be completely clear. Could you just give a layman's summary of what uh, focal dystonia is? Well, I'm not not a medical expert, but in my sort of understanding of it, it's it's a neurological condition um, where signals from the brain for fine muscle control get confused and that can result in loss, loss of muscular control um, possibly uh, or possibly even spasms and, and, and so in my case probably unwanted tension in the muscles that um, I, di- I didn't wasn't asking for you know very very briefly I mean I studied at the academy um, and that was sort of mid 70s. And I got a job very early on in the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra um, when I was 20. Um, I just auditioned and I, I, I was so green. I, I, I wasn't really aware what the standard was really. and I, I didn't really know the orchestral repertoire very well. But um, then after three years, I went to the Scottish National Orchestra for eight and a half years, I think. And then um, I came down to the Philharmonia Orchestra in 1989. Um, That was to replace Ray Premru. And then I spent five years there. And then I went to the LSO. I um, followed Frank Matheson in the LSO. That was in 1994. And I was there for about 10 years. Um, And it, it was about 2000. 
2002 or 2003. It's a while ago now. I mean, it's nearly 20 years ago. That's when I started experiencing difficulty. I was mid-40s by then, about 45, 46. And um, I, I think I, there was a... Very often with this dystonia, there's a trigger which kind of unbalances something that's been you you've been doing for maybe years and years without any problems, uh, and then suddenly, uh, and in my my case, I think I try I tried a new trombone, and after a few months, I decided no, this isn't quite as good as my old trombone, and I went back to my old trombone, and and I found a few notes not responding quite as I as I wanted and I, th- I didn't think I thought well it'll be all right a bit of practice and it'll come back but it it didn't it seemed to go in the other direction instead of getting better it seemed to start spiraling down and and I think that was probably a very crucial time I, I mean I I asked my colleagues in the LSO I said oh, I'm not very happy with how things are going and they said oh it's fine it sounds, it sounds great Bob you know and then, so, it, and it started in the in the lower register, just one, just one or two notes that just felt a little bit kind of dull and uncentered. And I suppose what I started doing was perhaps making minute changes to the embouchure, which to try and compensate for that. And that's when things started getting out of kilter, and that those one or two notes started spreading. Then, before I knew, I was then having problems, perhaps in in a in a half octave, and then it, it spread. Um, and then I just, being the sort of person I am, you know, perhaps a bit of a perfectionist and, and someone who works hard, I, I, I pra- try to practice more, thinking, right, I've got, I've got to work my way out of this. Perhaps, with, in retrospect, if I'd said, oh, I'll just have six months off and not touch the trombone, um, who knows, it might have... But I'll never know that now. And, and anyway, the, you... It was in the early days. It was too much to kind of ask for six months off the the LSO. You know, I still needed to earn money and um, and keep doing the job. You know, so I battled on for maybe for about eighteen months, two years, um, and then it got really bad. And, and people, I think, started to notice that. And so I thought, right, this is now I need to take some time off. But playing it always, I wouldn't say come easily to me, but I, I suppose I was a fairly natural player. From what, what I thought was, I mean, I, I, I was playing well, you know, I was in the LSO, surrounded by fantastic colleagues and players. Couldn't have been happier, you know. Um, and then this, and it, it started to feel like the muscular memory had kind of gone. You know, when you, you form an embouchure and there's a kind of feel there, you know what it is. That, that's what started to become very muddy. You know, notes went where I thought they were. When I took that time off, this was, we're talking about 2000, maybe through 2003, 2004 by then. I didn't know what it was, and it was, it was just so frustrating. Um, and I went to see some medical experts, and um, oh, I, I, had, I did hypnotherapy, um, um, some electrolysis kind of stimulation for the lips, and then my wife spotted something on online, and it was focal dystonia, and and she said, I think you might have something like this. So that's when um, I mean I, I went to see lots of top players, at least half a dozen, if not more, and they suggested different things, but nobody came up. I mean, these are the top brass players in certainly in the UK. Um, some outside the UK 
Um, they, they didn't mention dystonia. They said, oh, you, you know, try and do more buzzing on the mouthpiece or do this and that, do that. And none of it was working. Um, but Dennis Wick um, was very, um, he was very supportive, actually. And he, he was interested in the whole subject of this, especially when we thought it could be this dystonia. And he knew a lady in Texas called Jan Kagarice, um, who um, had a very deep understanding of dystonia. So I went over to Texas about four times, maybe four or five times. And we were working together and um, there was some progress there. I mean, it was basically relearning how to play in a way with a different mental focus. So basically, you're relearning how to play, which is very difficult because you know how to play. You can't unlearn how you play. It was a case of almost forgetting everything you'd done and start afresh, you know. I mean, I had to think positively and think, yes, I'm going to overcome this. But I, I found um, I, I had some sort of exercises I would do and I would kind of get things going. Um, just very simple sort of glissando, slur exercises and things I could sort of start building the thing up again. And then possibly the telephone might go and I'd have a five-minute conversation with someone. And I'd go back to the trombone and it had all gone again. It was like, you know, when you write your name in, in the sand and, and a wave comes in and just it's gone. It was, it was like that. What I've learned with people with dystonia, it seems to affect the areas that you, your bread and butter areas or the areas that you focus on. So in my case, on the bass trombone, it was the bass trombone register that was affected. I mean, there are pianists and guitar players, violinists can get it in their fingers where their fingers, it might be just one finger, doesn't quite do what, you're telling it to do and and it for instance guitar players is it can be very often in their right hand because that's what a lot of the focus is on um so no it was all it was all very much trial and error I was judging a competition in hanover and there's a very fine trombone player there who again i think has got a very understanding of these things and we, i had a few sessions with him and I think he thought I, we we can get things going, you know. And I think he, I think he was a bit surprised why it, it didn't seem to come together. But while I was in Hanover, there's a very there's a well known neurologist there, um, and his name is Alton Muller. So I, I I went to see him, and he said, "Yeah, he was very kind." I saw him early in the morning, and he said, "Bring your trombone," and and I tried to play a few notes to him, and you know, my face was kind of all over the place. From, a lot of, um, there'd be muscular spasms coming in. So I, I might have funny little pulls to one side that was involuntary movements. Um, anyway, he saw me playing and, and very quickly he's, he said, yeah, you, you've got focal dystonia and you've got it pretty severe. He, he said, um, he said if, I think if you keep trying to get your playing back, um, it's unlikely to come. He, he said uh, his advice was to take some time off and and, for, and that, I always remember that day, at, you know, after tr trying for about two years to try and overcome this thing, which was very frustrating and an emotional time, really, um, that, I, that I, this wave of relief came over me that I thought, oh, that I have got a condition. I remember, just, and it was from that day, I kind of thought, you know, I'm just going to leave it alone. And I'd like to say that, I mean, the LSO were fantastic. They, 
not only the my colleagues but the the management they said look take time off uh, whatever we can do um there was a there was some a little bit of financial support in kind of an in-house insurance scheme so um so that that held but then after you know after a couple of years you know you start asking yourself well come on is it going to come back what would have been frustrating if i got it 90 percent back and and there were just one or two notes that weren't quite right in my case, it was the other way around. It was like 80%. You know, I couldn't have gone back to the LSO. It would have been like playing for Manchester United with a broken ankle or something. It was, an, in a way, it was a no-brainer. In the end, I thought, you know, I've got to, I've got to resign here. And um, and it was all, it was, everything was fine. Um, I was, you know, very disappointed. But I, I thought, no, this isn't going to work. I, I, it was strange. Um, little things, I mean, I, if I heard bits of Richard Strauss, you know, some of those big climaxes. I just I'd get a bit emotional listening, thinking, oh, God, I'm never going to sit in the LSO doing that again, you know. And I mean, or if I, if, sometimes I went to the cinema because my, my kids were at the age where they go and see Star Wars and uh, Lord of the Rings and all, that, all those things. And I, I, I used to, that was a bit emotional because we used to do those soundtracks with the LSO. And I, I was on quite a few of them, you know. Yeah, I was anxious and de- depressed, but not not severely so. I mean, I, mean, I'm, I must say I'm, I'm very lucky I have a loving family life. You know, I've got my wife, Jill. She was a real support to me. And, and she made sure that I didn't have to worry about getting bread on the table, you know, because uh, that, then that gets really hard. And, and I couldn't have gone on for two years trying my best. Um, so having that that family life and and my kids were fantastic as well um so that side of it i i had a kind of um um a solid family supported background i mean mean, if you don't have that then it it gets really really hard you know um yeah but mentally yes I, i didn't fall to pieces at all yeah i was proud of being bass trombone in in the LSO, and, and there was like I had a badge, you know, sort of, you know, and, and that that was hard. I think you, when I when I was no longer there, I wasn't. So the you, that little bit of identity, but you know, it's the person you are, not not where you, what your job is really. I think keeping trying to practice, probably you trying to you reuse the old neural pathways. You just can't do it. You've got to find a new way. I mean, one neurologist I saw in London, her name was Karen Rosencrantz. She was a great support and she thought, well, why don't you try perhaps playing on a plastic mouthpiece or even put something over the rim of the mouthpiece like pork or something? Then the, the brain's going to, you're going to, tr- you're trying to trick the brain. that you, No, you're not playing the trombone, you know. When, when I was in Hanover, there was um, Radovan Vlakovic, the horn player, was there. He said, come, come around to my room, my hotel room, he said, and, and I'm, I'm really interested in this. So I, I tried playing, and he, he, he could see something wasn't working, you know. And so he said, oh, try my horn. So I, I picked up his horn. And I managed to play a, like a scale of C on the horn. And he said, that's, that's really interesting. So I thought, oh, um, and I did try a horn for a while, but then it seemed to go haywire after a couple of months. But then I, I because I needed to, to earn a bit of money, uh, I took on a job one day a week teaching little kids 
which I'd never done before. And I, I picked up a trumpet one day, and again, I, 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 play, I could play the scale of C pretty, pretty badly, but I could do it. You know? And I thought, that's quite interesting. And I wasn't getting the kind of reaction on the face, like the, the, the muscular pulls. But, and then I, when I came to London, I, I, Harold Nash, who was the old trombone professor there, he got me in. Because uh, they, they didn't have a bass trombone professor before me. So I, I started teaching about 1989 um, at the academy. Uh, and I'd always done, you know, three or four hours a week, you know, in between rehearsals and concerts, that kind of thing. And then when, when I stopped playing, Jimmy Watson was still head of brass at the academy. And he was very, very supportive. He sort of um, gave me a bit more not only one-to-one teaching, but perhaps group work, brass ensembles and things like that. So he, he was really great. And I, I think Jimmy had gone through difficult patches, I think. So he, he was quite sympathetic to, you know, it's it's not all plain sailing, uh, playing a brass instrument sometimes, you know. I've, I've been so lucky at the academy with the the students. I, I've, I've had some tremendous... I don't really want to name anybody because I, I, I might miss someone out. Um so, but I've just been lucky. Um, so, and that—that's where I get my pleasure from, really. Now, See, seeing these guys, you know, it's kind of flying. You know, I think general uh, overall health and well-being is is very important. You know, keeping fit, not doing things too much in excess. It's hard for breast players, isn't it? But uh, um, just living, being healthy um, is is very important. I think, and having a balanced life. Also, I mean, I, I, again, practicing, spending six hours in a practice room is not really healthy, I don't think. You know, I, I often think, you know, probably two hours or maybe three hours really constructive practice a day is more than enough when you think you're, what you're doing to your face. I think you, people need to be much more intelligent about how they practice. I think so many brass players, they, they get the instrument out and they doodle away for hours a day because they enjoy it. There, there's the musical side of things. I mean, I think you should, people should spend, I wish I'd done much more of it, spend more time reading scores and, and listening. Again, it takes time, but I, I think that's really valuable. Do, do half an hour's less practice and read scores for half an hour, listen to recordings and things. Try to go to concerts, obviously, and not, and, and not just things with brass in. You know, go, go to the Wigmore Hall and hear a string quartet. Um, go, go to a pub and hear a folk band, you know. Oh, you just go and hear all sorts of music because you, you, you absorb it and you learn from it, you know. And then, of course, there's you should go to the theatre. You should you know, great, see great actors, go to the cinema, see good films and art galleries. You, know, you should do all these things because it, it makes you much broader as a person um, and you'll be a better musician because of that. Everyone goes through life and it, it's... Well, it's been especially hard lately with COVID, and but I th- I think nearly all you, 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 everyone comes across a difficult moment in their life, and it's how you re- how you react to that I think is the key thing, and it's it's really hard is is trying to keep positive and 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 being able to support people who who you might be, think are going through you know just being there for them you, you don't want to kind of um, sort of smother them with advice and things like that when I was having these problems at the LSO um, Morris Murphy he, he was very caring guy and he he talked to me he had issues 
He's he added Bob. Do you fancy going to Spain and playing some golf? I said, yeah, yeah. It was just be, actually it was just before Christmas, so it was, it was in December. We went to Spain. There's Morris, Nigel Gom, and um, Richard Clues, a horn player. We we went to Spain, and, and it was almost as Morris thought, ah, oh, Bob, get, just get away from that trombone and play some golf for a few days, you know. And he didn't say that, but I, I think that was, he was very caring of him, you know. <laughs> 